broadcasting live from the Santa Lucia Highlands through the heart of the Casterville Artichoke Fields, westward to the Elkhorn Slough, and south to the rugged Big Sur coastline. You're listening to What's the Plan? A weekly discussion with local thought leaders about the future of Monterey County. And now, here's your host, Mr. Paul Wyant. Hello and good afternoon, everyone. This is uh, Paul Wyant on What's the Plan? Monterey. You can go to whatstheplanmonterey.com and get our podcast and uh, uh, listen to all of our old shows, including all of our old shows featuring Miss Wendy Rudescu, a supervisor from District 4 of Monterey County. And uh, and then you can come back and listen to this episode. It's going to be great today with Wendy. And also, I want to throw in a quick plug for my company, uh, Express Employment Professionals of Monterey County. We can help your business find great employees. So give us a call today, 831-920-1857, or go on the web and just Google Express Employment Monterey, and, uh, and we can help you get great employees frequent guest wendy rudescu uh nary i i like no guests better than wendy i should say (laughs) how are you today i am uh, i'm feeling fine but i am uh quarantined at home with covid so uh, so as not to be out in the community passing it around to others who may not feel as well as i do i am uh hanging tight locked up in a bedroom at our house Mm. So you don't feel bad, but you're locked up, not giving it to your your friends, family, or constituents. But it is a good gift that keeps on giving, I guess. It's not a good gift. It's a bad gift that keeps on giving. So um, so what have you been working on lately? Tell, tell us about some of the, the priorities uh, on your agenda lately. I know of a few from the news that I can ask you about, but what, what are you excited about? Any new hires in the uh, county? Any new fires? Have you... Well, interesting to <laughs> ask that question, Paul, but we have spent, I have spent what feels like a ridiculous amount of time in interviews this past quarter. We've got a ton of new executives that will be coming on board uh, in the new year. Um, the most significant probably being uh, Sonia de, de, de la Rosa will be joining the County of Monterey as our new chief administrative officer, replacing uh, Charles McKee, who's been with the county for decades. Oh, that's great. And the true chief admin officer, is that right? Is that Yeah. So we call our, our CAO or our, we call our chief administrative o- chief officer for the county. It's called a CAO with the County of Monterey. So Sonia de la Rosa will be coming to us from Fresno, nice. but she was born and raised in South County. So this is really a homecoming for, what, for Sonia. What's under the, the auspices of the uh, admin officer? Is that like, does Mary Zeeb work for her or does it, is it HR or what, what, who would fall under the admins? So just to keep things super mixy, mixy up, mixed up and complicated, uh, uh, Mary Zeeb is an independently elected treasure tax collector. We also have our independently elected sheriff, uh, who is incoming, uh, Tina Nieto. We nice. have an independently elected um, assessor, independently elected auditor controller. So we have about five um, independently elected positions that are also department heads um, that are kind of, mm, they're department heads. They work under the county umbrella, but they also have a lot of independent authority. Um, interestingly, Paul, since we are going down this path, for the first time in Monterey County history, all of our non-supervisor independently elected positions will all be held by female leaders. Mm. Uh, that's the first time that that's ever happened in Monterey County's history. So something worthy of, of note. Okay. Wow. Well, that uh, that's awesome. That's uh it's slightly sexist, but we've been sexist in the other direction for a long time, so it's fine. I guess <laughs> I joke, but, but yes, 
So the CAO is a position that's hired and fired by, it's a direct report of the board of supervisors. So this is the person that we hire to say, you are now responsible for working directly with the five supervisors and really sort of overseeing the coordination and the administration of policies across all 26 county departments, um, overseeing the entire $1.8 billion budget of the county. Um, that's amazing. Sure that functioning, um, people are working together, and that we are upholding our mandates to serve our residents. That is, that is, uh, that is really, really phenomenal. So yeah, so I guess the, the treasurer, who, so if you're an elected official like the Tina Nieto or Mary Z, um, who, who would be the, um, who, who is, is, is the admin um, officer in charge of their staff, or are they in charge of hiring and firing their staff? Yeah, it's, it's unique for each department, but uh, they would be in charge. So, uh, you know, the district attorney, Janine Paccioni, she's responsible for managing her own team, um, her own hires, although those employees are are still county employees um, and they are required to follow all of our county policies. As we saw earlier this year with the sheriff's office, when the sheriff had a different set of expectation for um, their employees than the county had, uh, it creates some 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 tension there, some friction. Uh, but but ultimately, they're all county employees. But the, the 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 operational authority falls under that elected official. So Mary Lee would have responsibility for her staff, and we get to approve her budget. So if we don't like what she's doing, we do have that sort of budgetary authority with some limitations because we have to make sure she's upholding her mandate as well. That's, I, I love this. This is a great program because it's a long form interview and we get to ask kind of like these wonky questions. Uh -huh. and, I, and I really do. I do like asking them though, because it's like the operation of the county, like the devil's in the detail and that's where the corruption or the great things happen. Um, and, and it really is. And I, and I do think so. It's not, it's not trivial, like who gets to hire the staff or so-and-so, but one one of those things uh, that's like that is you would talk last time about the sheriff's oversight committee at the county level. Has any movement been made on that or is that stalled and maybe something you guys will take up in the new year? Yeah, no, we um, we just received an update on it. And I think you're right, Paul. It's the the nuance of, you know, what is the what do what do individual uh, individuals have authority over? And that's why policy and procedure is so important. That's why the role of the Board of Supervisors is so critical, because we're there to set the policy that then guides how all of these things happen and what kind of accountability is in place. So I, I like because copious amounts of money, and I hate to interrupt you, and I'm sorry, but copious <laughs> amounts of money goes to like public works and the yeah. sheriffs, and it's like and, and particularly with public works, it's like just millions and millions of dollars and go into these things. And it, it really, it's not that there is any corruption in Monterey County, but it is, it is just a lot of responsibility for those folks. So it is, and nobody cares who cares about, you know, some dirt road outside of Soledad, but it, it's kind of, it's really important except for those folks who live in Soledad on that dirt road or whatever. But um, anyway, getting back to the sheriff's oversight committee, I'm sorry. Yeah. So, um, so sheriff's oversight, uh, and, and it's either the, the, the legislation AB 1185 allows for us to pursue either and or a oversight committee uh, that's made of uh, individual committee people and or uh, independent investigator and oversight um uh, investigator general. So we're looking at our models, uh, trying to determine what's the best model for Monterey County. And we will likely be creating an ad hoc committee of our board to really dig into what other counties are doing, um, what's working. Uh, you know, we're not looking to, we're not looking to create 
uh, a system that's going to suck up resources without having improved outcomes. And so we really want to make sure we set up the structure right so that it's beneficial and allows us to create the kind of collaborative working relationship that we really need to have between the Board of Supervisors and the Sheriff's Office. Well, the, the what L.A. County did famously, like I think it was Sheriff Villanueva who was very uh, controversial on his stance in homelessness and I think it was Ventura Beach. Not Ventura Beach, sorry, uh, Venice Beach. Um, that the I think the L.A. County supervisors actually now can like unilaterally or with a slight majority of just a simple majority of votes can fire this sheriff are are you going to go to anything because i think that's super controversial maybe puts too much power in the hands of the supervisors are you considering anything like that uh, we are not currently having that conversation, and it's because we are not a charter. I mean, many reasons, but one of the reasons <laughs> we do not have that authority. We are not a charter county, so uh, that is not something that would even be an option uh, for Monterey County. That, to- that's good because I don't know how LA can do that. Because I, I don't know if you're familiar with that case, but I think I described it accurately. Um, yeah, the so. So we can talk about like the annexation of Soledad. And interestingly, I'm going to have a guest on at the beginning of January. He was on California Insider. It's a YouTube channel. And basically, the, the premise of the conversation was on, on that channel was over 50% of all new houses that are proposed to be built are legislated or are, I'm sorry, go into court. There, there's someone who sues the creation of those houses. So, you know, and they're including people like Landwatch and others. You are now the annexation of Soledad and Gonzalez are primarily going to be to create new houses and new uh, business districts and other things. So can you describe your position and the other uh, supervisors' positions on the, the annexation of Soledad and Gonzalez? And what are they going to do with that annexed lands? Yeah, so this is another one of those, it's all super nuanced, Paul, and who has authority and how the systems were set up. So local control is significant, and we all want the local communities to maintain uh, control of local decision making. But there's this, this, this organization called LAFCO, and LAFCO, Local Agency Formation Committee, there are LAFCOs that cover the entire state of California. And it was legislation that was formed to say, oh my gosh, everyone is kind of local control is, you know, different new districts are being created and cities are building this way and building that way and there's no boundaries and you know who's in charge who's overseeing how all of these local jurisdictions work together and the orderly formation of growth and someone who's kind of a watchdog on ensuring that we're not just sprawling out over all of our prime ag land in this beautiful rich state of California so lafcos were formed so our lafco has a legislatively directed by the state it uh, is um They've got a whole set of uh, uh, criteria and rules uh, that they have to follow. So they uh, they receive applications. You know, when um, when uh, the, the the Marina Coast Water District needed to amend its boundaries so that it could have the rest of former Fort Ord and provide service to those folks, they orchestrate and oversee those applications to make sure they're thought out and that the districts can you know, afford to do what they say they want to do. Um, so Soledad came forward with a, a proposal to annex a, a pretty significant um, a number of acres of land adjacent to the city. They are proposing to build out single family homes on that uh, property. Um, so LAFCO goes through its process. This is where sort of the the nuance of where, where do, is it more important to follow process um, and m- maintain the order that's been laid out? Here are the rules that we were supposed to follow. Here's the reason 
reasons why those rules are in place, or is local control more important? Um, and what, where, where is the the nexus of that? Um, that, that responsibility and that authority. So typically LAFCOs would say, okay, you want to, you know, expand your city. You know, what are your plans for the next 10 or 20 years? Soledad has come in and said, these are our plans for the next 50 years. And we'd like to be given permission um, to just have the land so that we can begin working on those plans. And uh, I, the, 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 the LAFCO board chose to go against the staff recommendation, which was to, um, uh, make, take that, take those actions in smaller chunks so that we could retain some regional uh, coordination and oversight. Um, and then in Soledad, there's some, there's some, uh, mix up with their, uh, you know, there's definitely a split on their board, but the mayor who was opposed to the, the, the full annexation, uh, just got reelected with a, a supermajority. Um, and one of their newest council members who's lined up with the mayor just got elected. So I think there may be, uh, some, some ongoing, uh, discussions in Soledad about what they want, uh, for the future of their city. What, and- what's going into that? annexation or do you know what do you know about the proposal uh, for the yeah. annexation and so here's where right it's not LAFCO's opinion mm-hmm. LAFCO doesn't get to weigh in and say what do you do with the annexed land or we want you to have affordable housing they don't get to tell the city what to do so there's sort of a a mix of conversations and I think what happened at the LAFCO meeting was a lot of the local control discussions got mixed up with the the LAFCO responsibilities but from what I understand Soledad is talking about doing some single family homes about 2,500 single family homes um, they they're talking about doing 20% uh, inclusionary affordable housing. Um, and so really, though, it's going to be up to the city at this point to decide what they want to do because they now have the green light to move forward. So far as litigation, so suppose um, some of the sprawl, like if, it, if I was the CEO of an anti-sprawl environmental group, is it easier to sue to block the the um, the creation of a... Um, like a suburban um, suburb, suburb like that, if it were in the county or in the city, or does it is it does it even matter because you've got CEQA? Like, wh- which is easier to uh, to block from from an environmental like uh, anti sprawl uh, legis- or you know litigation kind of standpoint? Would it be is it going to be easier for Soledad to get this through now that they control the land as part of their city? Yeah, well, at this point, it's now, um, I mean, there there still could be, uh, I, I think there will be lawsuits that, that, that the board didn't uphold LAFCO's core mandates and functions. Um, so I think that, that for me, from where I sit, right, I, I, it's not my place to judge what a local community wants to do necessarily. It's really where I sit, I'm looking at you know what were the guidelines that we put in place? What are the what are the criteria by which we make decisions to say yes or no? What other planning work have we done? And the perfect example of that, Paul, is you know just uh, on Tuesday we had another controversial housing uh, project come before the board, some farm worker housing in Pajaro. Uh, which is on um, on land in the unincorporated county. It's privately owned. The the, the landowner wants to develop it into uh, farm worker housing. This would be uh, just south of Watsonville, is that correct? In that part, okay. Levy, yeah, on a, on a little street, this beautiful little street called Susan Street, um, and. Uh, 
and and the, the the developer did by and large follow the, the policies and procedures. They are choosing to develop in a location that's been uh, tagged, uh, designated as being desirable for infill development. And yet the the neighbors came out fairly strongly saying we don't want additional development here in our neighborhood. And they had a number of reasons why they were opposed to uh, to moving that forward. But but like I said, from where I sit, I didn't support the Soledad uh, annexation because I didn't believe that we were following uh, the guidelines by which we've outlined uh, making decisions for future growth. Um, however, the Pajaro project, I did support, um, fully support, uh, because it, it, it does, it, 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 it helps us achieve the housing goals that we've identified and the types of housing that we need and locations that we've identified as being priorities. So I think it's, it's always nuanced, um, in how we go about how I go about making my my legislative decisions and policy decisions, I think both projects will end up getting sued. Um, I don't even, I don't venture to weigh in on <laughs> the legal merits of those cases. Well, I think, um, well, I'll talk to the lawyer on at the first week of January when we speak with, with him about lawsuits involving new construction. But I, <laughs> but I think there needs to be a final, because it's too easy to sue developers to stop growth. And if 50% of all new housing starts are being sued or litigated, it, it does seem like we've kind of gone too far in that direction. But, um, but then again, it's like, and then, and then what gets approved, it seems almost, um, you know, completely capricious because like you get like the dunes in uh, Marina, like it, not some of the dunes, the dunes near, um, Imgen, those are almost like townhouses, but the bigger dunes, and they're fine looking houses, like the ones around Black Horse and Bayonet, uh, that's not part of the dunes, but those new houses, and then the ones in the actual dunes project out there, further out on Imgen towards um, the Marina Airport, that seems like the kind of development that everybody's fighting, but that is a huge development. It went forward, and I know it was was probably improved back in the 90s or the early 2000s, but it does. It does. From at least from the outside, it seems very capricious. The winners and losers in in the development game, which nobody I think wants. I think you want at, at the bare minimum a play, fair playing field. But um, I don't know that you have any comments on that. That was just kind of like a long winded rant. I mean, I'm looking but. for. I'm looking for. Like, if we want to have housing developed, we're going to have our policies can either make it easier or more difficult for developers. Governments don't. We're not building housing. I'm not building That's any right. housing. Yeah. County is not building housing. But the policies that we put into place, if I go out and I develop a plan and we approve a planning document that says this is where we're prioritizing infill development, then I better be prepared to approve that housing project when it shows up um, because someone's invested their time and energy and money into that project that they're going to build 100% with private dollars. Um, you know, whereas when we say this is an area that we don't want to see developed uh, for whatever reason because it's sprawl, those are planning guidelines that allow us to help developers know where they're going to have uh, the ability to, to build. And unfortunately, I think some of the places where we most want to have development that fits in with, you know, uh, reduction of uh, use of energy, reduced vehicle miles traveled, all of the stuff that we say we want to have, that's all development that happened within communities that already exist, which is where you're most likely to have people say, well, it's a great project. I just don't want it to disrupt my street. I just don't want it to disrupt my commute. 
I don't want it to disrupt, you know, the peace and enjoyment of my neighborhood that I've come to love just the way that it is. Mm-hmm. But that, yeah. it, so it's either that, either we agree to figure out how do we collectively say change is going to happen and we need higher density infill development, or we're going to lose all of our ag, ag land to small development. And um, I, I think that that's... that's yeah, and I it's it's so and Mark you you may say this, but if you get on uh, at River Road in Salinas and drive west at eight a.m. in the morning, that's that traffic jam that you're experiencing. Or if you drive, you know, if you drive from Monterey to Salinas at five p.m., that traffic jam is a housing problem. No matter how you slice it, Mark, go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay, so I had a question, and and maybe for a point of clarification, but it seems. And I don't know if we have much of this happening now, uh, Wendy, and maybe it has to do with the Monterey County General Plan um, and whatever the guidelines are for development. But it would seem that um, is it is it true that it uh, it is the policy of the county to generally disapprove of the idea of building subdivisions in unincorporated land subdivisions go into cities and that's where the LAFCO process comes in where a city will annex adjoining land in order to facilitate the building of a subdivision I know that there are some instances in the county of uh, subdivisions in unincorporated areas for example um, Las Palmas uh, uh, Ranch is uh, considered Salinas but it's really outside the city of Salinas it's unincorporated land Toro Park um, between Castroville and uh, and um, Prunedale yeah there's, uh, and then yeah. And, and you have uh, both and even older developments like Bolsa Knowles which is outside of the city of Salinas but that was a, a subdivision that was developed and it is and it remains in the county so is the based on the last general plan that we had put into effect uh, the discouragement of um, of subdivision building within on county land and uh, only in lands that are annexed by the city yeah I, i'm gonna like overly simplify my answer and i think in general we want to see development happening where there are infrastructure where there's infrastructure prepared to support that development we want to see development happening in already created communities or adjacent to communities where we have streets and water and sewer and all of those support mechanisms where we have a fire department that's ready to respond, you know, a police station that's going to be nearby where there's recreation services and schools and shopping. So most of the time that development would be, we're looking to center growth in in our cities, our incorporated cities. However, the county also has, I think it's 12 or 13, maybe even more, what we call um uh, like community development areas that are all that are you know uh, Castroville for instance is not an incorporated city it's larger than some of our incorporated cities but it's a it's a growth area it's an area where we have services we have infrastructure so if you look at the county's general plan you'll see that there's a lot of those little areas that are designated um this this Pajaro uh, housing project was in the Pajaro uh, community uh, development zone mm-hmm. which is or that's where we want to put growth. So, um, so, so ideally, yes, in cities, but the county also has a responsibility to support growth within our. Uh, right, within and our- then and then outside of those areas, when you're truly rural areas, is that where the general plan uh, stricture of um, of five acre minimum lots 
comes in to uh, which means like one home on a five acre parcel because I think you and see I, that you know, yeah. I haven't had any of those projects come before me other than the um, the Las Palmas Riverview project mm-hmm. so I can't um, speak as, as articulately to to those answers in in District Four where I represent um, the only unincorporated community I have is East Garrison and that is uh, you know a marina address but it's on unincorporated county property but it's also within a community services district. Um, and a HOA, so it has uh, its own a nuanced uh, restrictions on growth. Well, speaking of District Four, I mean it's barely shifting from housing because I think it's it's got everything to do with housing. Is the we haven't talked to you since the um, desalinization plant was kind of tentatively approved by the Coastal Commission. Um, what's your reaction thoughts, and and what are you hearing from your constituents on that? Because I believe that plant will go in District Four. Is that correct? It, it is slated to uh, go into uh, the, the dunes outside of Marina in District 4, yes. Um, you know, it was it was heartening to see. Uh, I actually flew home early from the California Association of Counties Conference uh, in order to stand with my community and my neighbors at that Coastal Commission meeting. Um, and, you know, I think going into it, we we had heard that, the, that there was some outside political pressure that was pretty significantly... Um, pointing towards an outcome uh, of that decision of that vote. Um, and uh, I will say I was heartened uh, to hear the my community and to see the, the community of Marina um, and Seaside come stand together uh, really clearly uh, to, to make their voices heard. And, you know, the, was there, it was my birthday, actually, uh, Paul. So <laughs> what, I was, a, what a birthday present that is. <laughs> <laughs> I got to hang with all my, my neighbors for my birthday. But, you know, I will say at the end of the night, sort of even knowing what the sort of preordained outcome was uh, likely to be, it was still pretty devastating. And um, it's, I think it's one of those times where it, feel, it feels like and it felt like um, justice was not served and democracy was not um, upheld in the way that it was intended to. So, so, so what uh, what's the future look like here? I know there'll be some litigation. Oh I'm going to buy a bunch of attorney yacht, yachts for attorneys. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, and, you know, Paul, like, that's really, I think, what I find so disappointing about the whole situation is that it doesn't provide us with the clarity of a path to move forward that like our community deserves, our community deserves to say either we're going to get this done and we're going to figure out how to agree to it and, you know, line people up mostly broadly speaking, um, which is not the situation we currently have, or let's figure out what the path forward is. And and I heard loud and clear that the community of Marina is not opposed to desal, um, you know, there are, there are those who are, but overall, it's not that it's a desal project that's problematic. Um, it's the negotiations about uh, how Marina's rights are not being protected nor served in this project that we're concerning. Um, and it, it doesn't have to be that way. And I think that we collectively can and should be looking looking out for each other in a more meaningful way. Well, there's more to follow on that. that <laughs> it'll be interesting to track. That's like the county American tin cannery mark. So it's basically like the American tin cannery on a county scale instead of a Pacific Grove. One, one last question, we have a couple minutes left, is uh, illegal cannabis grows... Have have really taken advantage of unfair tax structures for uh, legalized cannabis operations. And you have been part of, I think, some of the relief. I don't know if it's retail outlets for cannabis or if it's for the growers, because a lot of like counties like San Luis Obispo, I think, has more favorable uh, tax structures for cannabis growers. And But all of it, I think, is really falling prey to the illegal growers, particularly up in the Humboldt County, run by 
the gangs like vicious gangs up there uh and so i think there's really an incentive just from a humanitarian standpoint to get this right as far as taxation goes and what what are your what what kind of work have you been doing on that and and what's your position on on some of the cannabis taxing that's been going on yeah well i will say the monterey county board of supervisors has listened carefully to our cannabis um uh, partners our, our growers and we took action we've actually reduced the tax rates down to where they only cover the cost of us running the program here in Monterey County, we're actually going to be probably looking at um, a loss, a net loss uh, from cannabis revenue uh, in in our coming year. So, um, you know, I think I think there's a narrative maybe that's not super fair that speaks to the reason that the cannabis. Um, uh, and you didn't say this, Paul, but the reason that the cannabis industry is struggling so much is because of the taxation. It, you know, agriculture, I worked in agriculture. It is a tough business. It is a up and down kind of business. So um, I'm going to say, you know, that our voters said they wanted taxation to be at a certain level. So if we want to change the taxation in the long run, let's take it back to the voters and let the voters reassess what they mandated us to follow in terms of taxation. But for right now, we are doing everything that we possibly can on, on behalf of the County of Monterey to um, help our growers find success. Because once if we can make it through these next couple of years, we know that the agricultural industry and cannabis as an agricultural commodity will be um, a, in a, in demand into the future across this well, country. We want I to think- be- I yeah. think I, my personal point, I'm sorry for, uh, is I think they really need a, a statewide fund to help out with uh, illegal enforcement up in those northern counties because that's really, those guys are struggling up there. I don't know if you've talked to any of those northern counties about that, but I think there's some serious uh, crime up there. Anyway, thank you, Wendy Ruskew. She's the uh, Monterey County Supervisor for uh, District 4. Always a pleasure. And we'll be talking to her again probably in January or February. So look forward to that, Wendy. And uh, I want to remind everybody, I'm Paul Wine, owner of Express Employment and Professionals, Monterey County. Please call us at 831 or look for us on the web by Googling Express Employment Monterey. Thank you, Mark Carbonero, greatest uh, greatest producer in the business. Thank you to David Marzetti, host of the Saturday Morning Shagbag radio show right here on 1460 AM and 101.1 FM. And of course, Thank you to Miss Wendy Rudescue. See you next week, everyone. Get me down. Cause this final.